What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain I remember when I was a kid, Street Fighter II first came out, and the only place I could go play it near my house was at a Pizza Hut. And I would go to that Pizza Hut, and there would be a bunch of other kids all trying to play Street Fighter, and we would battle it out. And it was one of the funnest experiences of my life because that was one of the first fighting games that came on the scene that really changed and revolutionized arcade games as far as I'd known it. And then, of course, there was others that followed after it, but Street Fighter II was the original, the OG. And in homage to that, and also as our second round of partnership with Street Fighter, we came out with a sick line of t-shirts. So I really encourage you guys to check this out. It combines the characters themselves and licensed drawings from Street Fighter with the actual martial arts fighting style in the language of the character itself. The shirts are sick. If you're a Street Fighter fan, definitely check it out. Onit.com slash Aubrey, and that Aubrey code will get you 10% off everything. And also, if you're listening to this in December, I want to remind you guys that the best way to keep in touch with me while I'm on sabbatical is going to be to follow my newsletter. Go to AubreyMarcus.com, sign up for any of the free downloads that we have, or just put your name in the newsletter, and I'll fill you in on all my travels to Patagonia and Buenos Aires and Uruguay and all the adventures that I'll be on. It's one of the only ways I'm keeping in contact with everybody is through that newsletter. So I look forward to talking to you more through the newsletter. One of the most unique medical professionals in the world. He's got his psychiatry medical degree. He's a full MD, but that's not all he's done. He's gone down to South America and trained an apprentice with the great plant medicine doctors. He's gone into naturopathic medicine, Ayurvedic medicine. He has explored the full gamut of medicine. And in this podcast, we talk about his recent hunting experience, but also talk about the future of what he is calling transformational medicine. That's bringing in absolutely everything from the allopathic Western approach to the shamanic plant medicine approach to the naturopathic and supplemental approach through the fitness and food. It's really beautiful to have someone with expertise in all of these different categories. And I really hope you enjoy this podcast with my man, my friend, my brother, Dr. Dan Engel. My brother, Dr. Dan. It's good to be back, man. Yeah, welcome back. It's been a little while. It has. Man, it's been so good to drop in with you the last couple of days, mm. get caught up on everything. Yeah, it feels like like lifetimes we've been catching up with. Well, it's cool because it's like the friendship hasn't missed a beat, right? <laughs> like, like, There's no catching up with that, but we're both doing so many things and 
going through so many processes and uncovering so many things about ourself, about you know the essence of life, the essence of optimization, the essence of health, the, that it's just always a pleasure to just drop in and see what we've each discovered on our own hero's journey <laughs> yeah <laughs> to greater you know to greater understanding yeah. and greater learning yeah it's like um, coming back sharing the harvest here's my harvest what, what right you got? yeah you just get back exactly into it. and like ceremony right we'd be years between medicine journeys and then we drop in and she just hits play <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> and the, and uh, you know that is also the interesting thing about ceremony is it is this collaboration with your current level of understanding, you know, because I think sometimes ideas will splash against our consciousness, but we don't have the cognitive ability to grasp and like hold on to the concept. Mm. So that'll just kind of fly by. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, you don't know about a medical condition, but then someone in your family gets it and then you're watching TV and you hear it every fucking eighth word, right? Cause it's an awareness and it actually makes sense to you. And it's a cog it's a concept that can actually land. Mm. And I think, um, you know, that's something that's interesting as you explore and become more aware. And then ceremony can actually give you insight on these things that you've already gained ground on and like mm. can actually wrap your mind around in the integration process, mm -hmm. which is a, a cool feature of ceremony. One of the reasons why no ceremony is ever the same because you're never the same, you know, it's not the same river. You're not the same person. Absolutely. Right? So it gives it that collaborative effort of unlocking a different perspective also starts with your current perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and what gets to happen today? Yeah. That constant beginner's mind. And this the idea that there's so many other ways to learn besides just psychedelic medicine and those kind of traditional meditation, those kind of traditional pathways. And one of those ways that we were just talking about and rapping about was you re-engaged with the practice of hunting mm. recently yeah and really kind of looking at that with full awareness and how to bring that back into a learning experience yeah. you know a way to alter perspective so why don't we start there and talk about kind of some of your recent understandings from your hunting experience absolutely yeah it's uh been really a beautiful coming back to a practice that I grew up with from a completely different state of mind. Grew up hunting. Wait, wait, wait. You were different when you were <laughs> young? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. We want consistency here. We don't yeah. want the, like, like politicians. The like, I know. Like you flip-flopped on been, your position on hunting. And like, where you're, no longer, you're no longer viable for office <laughs> because you changed and transformed and grew into a different person. Yeah, yeah, it's coming back with a whole new new level of reverence, appreciation, connection. So the trajectory of it, grew up hunting with my dad and dad's more of a trophy hunter. We would use the meat for sure. Um, and it's, it wasn't a necessarily a slam on his reference to that practice, but you know, he's, he's self-made, he's, he's, he's prideful of his accomplishments and and there was a, a way growing up here in San Antonio and going to South Texas and whitetails everywhere and hunting's in the zeitgeist. Um, it was just built in as the expectation, but it was still from that place of um, consumption. Like I see something that I want, I'm gonna take that resources, I'm gonna use that for my benefit. And 
maybe or maybe not do I have a level of like deep connection, like in that whole avatar scene where, mm. you know, only until he he hits the stag and inserts the knife and says the prayer, thank you for your life, that your body becomes food for the people. And we release you and celebrate you back to returning to the oneness. At that point, she says he's ready. Yeah, It's at that level of connection, that level of rev reverence, that level of really appreciating the whole cycle. And I didn't, I just didn't have that level of awareness and when I, don't I was think, younger. I don't think most people do. I mean, whether it's hunting or fishing, it's part the game, it's mm -hmm. part the chase, it's part the test of skill, mm -hmm. it's part the merit as a man, it's part of like all of these different factors, which may all still be present, but it has to be also with the radical awareness of you are connected to that life form mm -hmm. that you're harvesting. And that life form is going to end up supporting your life as part of this giant cycle, mm. you know, where you're recognizing the spiritual essence mm -hmm. of all living things mm -hmm. and that you're a part of that. And, yeah. then, and then the reverence comes naturally from that kind of, from that understanding. But yeah, you may still get it. Your heart may still may beat a little bit. You may get a little excited, and that's okay too. You don't need to shame, mm -hmm. you know, these feelings of excitement. You don't need to shame the fact that you're proud of how many points are on the antler part of it. Like, it's a it's a kind of the integration of all of those things yeah. and saying like, yes, and yeah, like, and do you have the reverence? And do you have that understanding? Yeah, I love that term integration because these different aspects are all important. These different parts of ourselves are all important and we integrate them into a greater experience of wholeness. And all of those can be uh, these, these beneficial voices, these important voices that, that build the construct of who I am at this level of awareness. And then that might be different next week or next month or next year or next lifetime. And so as it relates to coming back into the experience of hunting, I released hunting and my relationship with hunting for 20 years i went into buddhism took the monastic rites gave away all my guns all my fishing gear i didn't think i would kill anything else you know quote unquote for as long as i lived and while i went deep into raw veganism and really tried to crack that code and just watch my hormones tank <laughs> while my heart was open but it was very yin and i was just like no juice mm-hmm and and running on love but that was a fairly different experience love good food for the spirit right less good food for the body <laughs> need some substance yeah it doesn't quite drive the adrenals <laughs> <laughs> if you're you know in lotus position in the monastery you're pretty good mm -hmm. um so everything has its time the and place testicles are hungry it's super <laughs> they want they want some things super starvy yeah for for that just mana that depth that strength that vitality, that life force. And I realized at the choice of bringing meat back into my diet that it wasn't working for my body. And I was spending up to 1500 bucks a month on supplements and trying every different You're talking way. Talking about to, the raw veganism wasn't yeah. working for your body, yeah. Yeah, trying to crack that code. And eventually elected after five years or so, really just noodling around that, running centers in raw veganism. Literally noodling around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And um, I brought eggs back in uh -huh. and um, had a full body. I've never experienced that degree of full body orgasm. Full, full body food. Full body food. That yolk. 
every part of my brain was down your my throat. body was finally that like, silky thank yellow you. yolk <laughs> just <laughs> all over your face for this yeah. <laughs> and i was like oh okay body says yes and that was just eggs so eggs can still be harvested sustainably right and then it got into fish and well that's actually life force that living creature will no longer continue to propagate and so mm. it was this whole like just reclamation of my relationship with the cycle of life and death and being okay with being a part of the consumption of life in order to be my best fully alive, fully vital self with the strongest, so to speak, voice to do the work that I can do, para el bien de todos, for, for the good. Like whatever is moving through me in order to do that well, I'm gonna need to be fully online. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated the fact that that was going to include meat coming back in. And so it went to fish and then it went to poultry and then it went to red meat. And then over a course of 10 years, I've just been gradually getting more and more okay with bringing meat back in as long as I knew the food source, knew the farmers, knew the where it was raised and tried to be as intimate with that. But I hadn't yet come back to hunting. Mm-hmm. And that just happened last month. So the first time in 20 two 23 years that i've actually killed a mammal of this size for food to bring back and to try and now more sustainably were you killing small mammals for food here dan well i wasn't killing anything (laughs) but i'm thinking like okay and there's like the scale piece like okay is a is killing a bird any less karmic hit or a fish or less offensive than killing a deer Right, and it's all life, and we just kind of interpret like what's okay, and so I there really is just, kind of a size bias, right? Totally. Like, like if that thing's bigger, then it has more importance. But we do that just in our culture. Bigger's better. Scale it out, and like the the role of the mother is maybe less important than the role of Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. We're ultimately at the end of the day, if we're serving in love through love for the betterment of the generations to come with an idea of supporting the whole, then scale is irrelevant. Yeah, that's that's true. It's a good reflection on what we think of as as good. Mm-hmm. You know, good is more. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's this worth again, it's this this almost delusional idea of our projections of what is valuable. And what is, you know, but really when you're talking about spirit, which you're talking about the spirit of an animal, then it gets a little bit more, it gets a little bit more interesting because it's not the size of the flesh that's embodied because we can see that with dogs, right? Like no one would say, oh, it's cool to kill the little dogs, but don't kill the St. Bernard's, right? Like <laughs> right. it's like a, like a little lobie, like my little Alaskan <laughs> clique eye, you know? Like as much spunk and spirit and intelligence as any big dog that mm-hmm. I've that I've ever seen. So we get that, I think, with those when personality becomes an effect. But then other times we just look at it as like a simple mass thing. Mm. You know, like, well, how much mass is there? But mm. then, yeah, that all of these all of these things to kind of be aware of, mm. it's just like, like kind of like ways to think. Like, oh, do I have a size bias? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like is, is half the word Bjornsson, who's 6'10", 440, who came in here and, and worked out, is like, is he more... A valuable a human than than a small five foot you know Eight, light worker yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know but obviously not and I, I think we get that with some things but we don't get that with other things mm-hmm. but then there also is like a reflection on the size and complexity of the level of consciousness because it's like 
a much different story to talk about killing a dolphin than it is killing a tuna of the same weight mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. like and i think there is some merit mm-hmm. to the complexity of consciousness in the life yeah. that you're taking you know what i mean and that's plant insect plant insect animal, animal human and the spectrum of animal along that mm-hmm. it gets really it gets really interesting to kind of explore that and i don't think either one of us are trying to say this is the way it is everybody you know but yeah let's a, entertain the conversation it's a worthwhile thought thought experiment mm-hmm. to kind of explore all mm-hmm. of that but ultimately knowing that each creature is perfect for its own function and necessary mm-hmm. for its own function and is is an articulation of source mm-hmm. in its own particular way an articulation of the manifest and recognizing and celebrating that regardless of its complexity yeah yeah because it, like a, an insect a cockroach if it was like had a super personality or a fly who had super personality was like no i just don't want to land on shit today well then no no shit would get you know processed by all the maggots and all the things that happen that the flies are necessary for creating if the flies had personality we're like no not interested (laughs) that wouldn't work so like their complexity is perfect for the way it is Mm -hmm. that they're going to automatically without a whole lot of choice do what they're programmed to do like that's perfect yeah and we and we put meaning and scale of meaning based on purpose and function right so plants that we don't know their functions we call them weeds so we get rid of them right insects that we don't know their function we get rid of them and you had this really interesting experience i remember when we were down in the jungle a while back about mosquitoes Mm -hmm. you're like oh yeah you're distributing the wealth or the blood among others yeah i had had an astral encounter with (laughs) the mosquito overmind and was talking to the mosquito and and i was like what's up like mosquitoes like why why are you here yeah, why please are you tell me your function yeah what I is don't your function what is your function super annoying. it's like whoa whoa man relax we're just like tax collectors you got a lot of blood we take a little bit we other animals eat us we distribute your you know you got an, you got an excess mm-hmm. and that was like an interesting reframe on mm-hmm. that kind of like oh okay this is just paying nature taxes right and as we evolve whether through conscious or direct experience and oftentimes it's both when we evolve to a level of understanding of how everything has purpose, otherwise it wouldn't be here. Everything comes from the same divine source of creation, otherwise we wouldn't be here. When we can know its purpose, then we can assign it more internal value. If we can assume that everything has purpose, then even when we don't know it directly, we can still respect it. And that includes other humans. Right? So people get into religious wars thinking, oh, my God's better than your God. Well, if we can all assume that we're all divine, then however you pray is probably important just as it is important to me, however I pray. And when we can distill it down to the just the core tenets of any religious doctrine, which are based in spirituality at their core, which means everything is treat your neighbor as you would yourself. Be kind. Don't be a jackass. Mm. Respect each other's choices. Yes, I'm going to do my thing, but may my thing not infringe on your safety right. and your ability to be alive and celebrated. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that is like the core truth that we are all kind of grappling with and recognizing. Hopefully and, and remembering. I think, I think it's the other area where it gets hard is those things like mosquitoes, those things that seem to be antagonistic to pleasure, antagonistic to life, or maybe even the things that really like throw the brakes on right and cause suffering like viruses 
and like other other organisms like that like i remember i was trying to talk to the mosquito over mine and i was like okay cool i got it your taxes understood you know still i'm gonna slap you if you land on me but like i understood that you're you know like that's fine you know um but what about malaria and mosquitoes were like hey man don't talk to me talk to malaria and i remember like malaria was this like chaotic mass of energy on the side and i looked over in my vision state on ayahuasca and i was like nap not talking to malaria <laughs> i'm gonna pass on that <laughs> we'll come but, back <laughs> we'll come back but then you know recognizing that even malaria which is a parasite to the mosquitoes mm-hmm. like even the parasites has a functional a function, adaptation have has a function to throw the brakes to a certain degree on the unbridled expansion of life which would ultimately be cataclysmic mm-hmm. to all life because it would devour all resources so there's certain measures that yes they're unpleasant and each individual person can do their best to prevent malaria but removing malaria in general in totality and if that was always the case may actually exacerbate and facilitate cataclysm mm-hmm. without these force these forces or these functions that are you know when it's someone you love it's a fucking it's it's horrible to witness mm-hmm. it if it's you it's like really difficult and challenging to witness it but recognizing the, the divine and even that mm-hmm that some of these things are going to be the brakes and some of these things are going to be the gas. And like we need brakes and we need the gas so that life can turn over and mm-hmm. that these opportunities for learning, for our spirits to come embodied and express and learn and grow, we kind of need the whole gamut. We need yeah. the yin and the yang, the light and the dark, the gas and the brakes. Yeah, it's the most divinely complex and beautiful system that we have ever known or been a part of, which is this complex ecosystem that is the earth that's this minuscule little part of the larger ecosystem in the solar system in the universe it's a self-organizing ecosystem it is self-contained it has internal checks and balances it's based on its own evolution and these just general principles of law like in hermes trismegistus this ebb and flow there will be a time for growth and a time for decay this is built into the cycle of the seasons, built into every day, light and dark. These Even are all just built into the global cataclysmic system that exists on Earth itself. Yeah, you know, which absolutely. Is, I almost look like Earth is a, Earth has a cataclysmic history, and you listen to, you know, Randall Carlson or Graham Hancock and on Joe Rogan's podcast, and you understand that these massive cataclysms, these floods that are in every mythology, from the biblical mythologies to the Greek mythologies to all of these, you know wiped out advanced civilizations you know that it existed at a certain point and that there there will likely and there always have been if you track this back to history there always have been these cataclysms that are this kind of constant like fresh restart Mm -hmm. and you know there's a theory out there called the genetic bottleneck theory where these cataclysms actually concentrate you know a certain number of people who are of the highest flexibility of mind and the highest in and actually allow these systems that may be developed that are too entrenched to actually evolve very effectively it'll just wipe them out so new systems can be built but i think ultimately the the main value of this is to know that we're in a cataclysmic planet it also provides like death which gives you the urgency to live you know and like the urgency to appreciate life okay hey like the fact that we are in a cataclysmic plane of existence on earth 
maybe that's a little bit of pressure for us to get our shit together, start working together and stop fighting each other and stop fucking around with what border lies where and what religion people are and what what political orientation they are and say, hey, how about we're team people, part of team planet, and let's not get completely fucked by the next meteor, volcano, super earthquake, whatever thing is coming, flood, whatever thing is coming. Like, let's try not to fucking get completely wiped by this Mm -hmm. thing and that's going to require a lot of teamwork and a pooling of assets and intellect and intelligence and the removal of this me 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 to r like Mm -hmm. we're all part of this thing Mm -hmm. together Mm -hmm. which going all the way back (laughs) this is crazy tangent is one of the beautiful fucking things about hunting Mm. because it viscerally reminds you of like oh to eat meat means i am intimately involved mm-hmm. with this cycle mm-hmm. and hold it as reverent and be really respectful and grateful for the opportunity to receive life force energy back in to know where it comes from to not just mindlessly eat in the while i'm on the phone in the fast food line while i'm hopping between things that i got to do because we're just like the pace of life our nervous system hasn't even caught up to the pace of life so much so much of the time we're on these autopilot assembly lines with and, and me I mean, we just because of the pace can get really sidelined from that level of intimate deep connection and slowing down to really appreciate and think about where our food comes from how are we engaging all of the things that we consume it was i had a really similar relationship with medicine when I first went down to the jungle, I closed up my clinic. I had just been introduced to ayahuasca. I was like, holy cow, this is the thing for me. Uh, it helped me understand the mind, my background in psychiatry. Like, ayahuasca made all my medical training look like kindergarten. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Okay, I want to learn this thing. Closed my practice, moved down to the jungle. And I still had this consumption mindset, which was I go down and study, to study with my first teacher. And uh, high as a kite in one of the ceremonies, I declare... Tu es mi maestro. You're my teacher. And he goes, huh? And I said it again. Tu es mi maestro. And he said, huh? <laughs> he kind of mm. just shrugged me off. And I think I, one, I think he wanted to make sure I, I wanted to earn it. Yeah. Right? But number two, it occurred to me only weeks later, how audacious and disrespectful is it for me to walk in and say, you're my teacher, claim you as my teacher versus like respectfully ask if you would have me as your student because I appreciate the way you work. I think you have a codified system that I can learn from and hopefully I can use that to help others. Very different mindset, but yet I'm I'm used to in college and med school and residency and fellowship Walking in and say, I'm going to be your best yeah, you cons- student. Consume the class content. I'm going to move. Consume the degree. Consume the, yeah, yeah. Elbow everybody else out of the way. I'm yeah. your number one guy. Yeah. And I'm going to come in and claim it. And we have that extraction mentality for so many of our natural resources, including things like ayahuasca and peyote and San Pedro and iboga. When, we're th- when we identify a commodity, even if they're going to be healing, a resource that has healing potential, we commodify it and then we extract it beyond its replantation or reciprocity or sustainability. We're not, we don't give back to the tribes or the local communities where many of these resources come from to the degree that would be respectful and equitable. 
nor do we have an understanding that it takes iboga 12 years to propagate, ayahuasca 15 to 20 years to get like ripe, mature vine, um, peyote to 20 to 30 years, San Pedro cactus 8 to 14 years. You know, so it takes mindfulness to be able to say, okay, if we're going to be using these as medicines, then we need to be able to replant at least at the same rate and give yeah. back. And that's one of the reasons I think these medicines are freaking amazing. You know, you and I have had a lot of conversations about medicine work. In some capacities, I think if we're talking about scale to meet the demand of disease, so to speak, or illness or despair, if we can just call it for the symptom and, and the feeling tone of anxiety, depression, PTSD, addiction, and pain, there's a despair there. The demand for supporting that level of despair and helping to steward people through their healing is massive. And so if we're going to use medicines on a scale to meet that demand, we're going to need to either significantly up-level our growing houses or we're going to turn to something that is more sustainable, like psilocybin, which can be easily grown and propagated. And everybody also can, synthesized if necessary. And the, synthes and the synthesized ones, MDMA, ketamine, LSD potentially, although it has this huge cultural negative stigma, it has the largest database of any medicine ever that's been studied. 40,000 case reports between the mid-50s and early 70s. And it was because Sandoz Labs was like, holy shit, we just found this thing called LSD. We don't know how <laughs> it's working or what it's doing, but anybody that wants to help us figure it out, we're going to give it to you for free. Yeah. So they open sourced it and just shipped out tons of LSD globally to figure out how this thing does what it does. So that's why we have 40, upwards of 50,000 case reports of benefit. And there's no lethal dose. There's only one, there was only one report of anything dying from an overdose of LSD, and that was this poor elephant because they were trying to find the, the toxic dose. And they used an elephant? And they used the elephant because they were like, oh, size, big. We want to see if this can down something. And so this elephant died, but it was actually the barbiturates that they were using as a sedative that killed uh -huh. it and not yeah. the LSD itself. So no, there's no known lethal dose. Now, that's not to say that you can't take there's a truckload. And there there's, is a psychological psychological <laughs> there's a psychological lethal dose. <laughs> you can definitely lose your shit and have a hard time coming back. So that's not to say that everybody should just use it by the truckload. Yeah. Uh, but same thing with psilocybin, no known lethal dose. You'd have to, well, I think technically you'd have to eat like 3.4 pounds. Yeah. Of psilocybin would just be like a small trash bag and you'd puke way before that. So right. many of the natural medicines have built-in safeguards. And if you hit that toxicity level, you just puke it out, purge it out, poop it out. Um, but with the, with the synthetics, like LSD, if you take too much, it will blast you through the psychic glass ceiling into an arena that you're not really equipped to deal with. And I saw that happen with my one of my best friends. When I we remember, I remember you telling that story where you yeah. guys uh, pushed the pushed the envelope we a did little push bit the envelope. for scientific purposes, <laughs> of course. R &D, all about R &D. <laughs> always, always for research. Yeah, I mean, I think that. But those same principles apply whether you're talking psychedelic medicine, you're talking allopathic medicine, you're talking, you know, natural natural medicine. You know, using botanicals and herbs and whatever. Minimum effective dose is like it's one of the principles that mm -hmm. applies universally. Like take as little of the content as you need to create the effective dose that mm -hmm. you need and sometimes the minimum effective dose if you're trying to break through is high and i think one of the principles that you've really said is okay you got to at least take the threshold dose to actually feel something mm -hmm. right so 
Yeah, sitting you, on the rim is not comfortable. Sitting, yeah, and it's and it's like just oh, I experimented with this. I took a little bit and it didn't really do much. Well, all right, we'll push this to to a safe level to really see if this see if CBD can be. You know, that's one of the things that you were mm-hmm. talking to me about. Like, you know, most people are going to say, all right, get in that twenty five milligram kind of zone. You know, and you're like, yeah, yeah, cool, that's good. Have you tried one hundred and fifty milligrams a day? I was like, nope, I haven't tried that. And you're like. I mean, obviously, there's a cost associated with that, um, but like at that dose, then you can start to see some more dynamic effects of that, and then you can really start to understand what the potential for whatever condition you're looking to improve mm-hmm. might be. Is like, all right, just don't dabble with it. Yeah, you know, I tried a tincture of CBD, and you know, it didn't do much. Well, okay, well, we'll push that one a little bit because that one's for sure safe and psychologically safe. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, let's. Let's make sure. Let's find what your minimum effective dose is, and then see if it's tolerable to your bank account and tolerable yeah, to totally. whatever else is there. But but really trying to find how these tools all fit in to create the maximal effect. Yeah, yeah, and this is part of the exciting renaissance that's happening in psychedelic research. Is that we're getting more and more clear about safety, efficacy, and the fact that most of these medicines don't belong in Schedule One. They fail on both accounts. Schedule one means there's no known medical benefit and they're highly addictive. Psilocybin fails on both accounts. Ayahuasca fails on both accounts. The list goes on. And when we look at the Global Drug Survey 2017, we see that fewer number of people have reported to the ER for bad trips on psilocybin than even on cannabis. Right, So it's even ex- existentially the safest, not just pharmacologically and neurochemically. Mm-hmm. So when we know what the therapeutic range is, and this is the sweet spot, right? If you don't take enough medicine, there's no effect. If you take too much, it's toxic. So what's the sweet spot? Some have a narrow therapeutic window. So you have to be very particular and precise with how much you dose it. Versus CBD has a really wide therapeutic potential. Some people get benefit at eight milligrams. And I medically direct a neurologic recovery center where we're working with people with TBI, traumatic brain injury, concussion, stroke, we get up into two, 300 milligrams. If they're healing the brain while they're dealing with chronic pain, CBD is great for that. Anxiety, CBD is great for that. Insomnia, the list goes on. So CBD has a lot of different windows of entry and a lot of play mm. and a lot of buffer zones. It's one of the reasons I like that medicine as a very strong potential continued anchored pillar for psychological rehabilitation and neurologic rehabilitation. We're just really getting to know what the endocannabinoid system can really do yeah. and the sophistication of how to tweak it, how to tweak the terpene profiles and all these different little like sure. nuance profiles in it. And then to come back to bring that conversation around to the hunting piece, for me that was the that was just another entry point into the recognition that there's still so much opportunity for me to get present with all aspects of my life, not just food, not just the respect for another living creature, but my relationships, my where I live, how I live, who I live with, you know, I, I, my 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 very simplified goals for life. Where I want to do what I love with who I love, where I love doing it, <laughs> and everything else is going to fall into place. <laughs> yeah. And so that experience with hunting last month, it was the first time I you know, hunted in 20 plus years and I hunted with a crossbow, which was really cool. And so it was very intimate. And it was in that stalking kind of really getting to know on the ground level 
the the way animals move, the way nature moves, the way the wind moves, and how the wind tracks my scent to that mm-hmm. that I'm tracking, and I've got to know how to play it, and I've got to know how I'm moving in the space because it's going to be responsive to me. So it just slowed everything down. It got everything back to a level of simplicity and primality that was just really refreshing. I had been out of, I I conceptualized that a fair bit in my mind, but have the embodied experience of it again was as much a joy as the act of receiving that life and, and, and making the quote unquote kill the the idea that anything that you do can be universally applied i think is something that's always good to remind everyone like we tend to silo certain things like okay i learned this in relationship it applies only to relationship i learned this in hunting it applies only to hunting i learned this in fishing it applies only but there's a universality to all of these things that you can apply to all the facets of your life like those puzzles that you solve those challenges that you overcome those experiences that you have you know can change your universal perspective Mm. you know if you allow it to and if you like are curious and inquisitive and like sit with it and take time to like reflect upon what these things have taught you and what how you can apply these things to your greater purpose and your greater expression Mm -hmm. of who you are Mm -hmm which is really fucking cool. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to what we were talking about with the with the CBD though and and also <clears throat> this kind of idea that we were talking about today which is an idea of a kind of a renaissance and a revolution in medicine that you were calling transformational medicine. Mm. And you know, obviously you're a psychiatrist and MD, you have all of that training, you've gone down and worked with the great plant medicine doctors of the world you've gone to all the herbal you know doctors and masters and learned from so many different schools but ultimately everything can contribute to a new concept which isn't siloing everything into all of these different categories but saying like all right what are we really trying to do here we're really trying to transform human beings mm-hmm. from whatever state of less capacity they are in to the state of higher potential and higher capacity Mm. it's a transformation Mm -hmm. it's not just a crisis intervention it's not just a let's get to normal (laughs) you know which is part of it but it's like so kind of explain what your vision is for this this idea of transformational medicine Mm -hmm. yeah thanks for the question it is an exciting time i just continue to see the rising potential that we have to tap into the next field of healthcare that's a reflection of the next level of our correlation, our our co-living experience. And if we just look historically, allopathic medicine has owned the market for the last 100 years. And that's the traditional pharmaceutical model, Western medicine. Yeah, Western medicine has actively made wrong or moved out of the way all the other medical disciplines, chiropractic, uh, naturopathic, Chinese, Ayurvedic, homeopathic, etc. You go back in the history books, there have been active warfare <laughs> from the Western medical paradigm to each of those, making them wrong or voodoo. Even 20 years ago, you would have talked to most Western medical doctors about acupuncture or Reiki 
or these more esoteric fields, they would have said that's bullshit, that's voodoo. And now those are being reimbursed in the hospital system and in the insurance billing system because they're appreciated as effective modalities, even if the Western medical system doesn't even know how they work, they can still appreciate that they do work. So the last hundred years has been all Western medicine. And the last, and then fast forward to the last 15 plus or minus 20 years, maybe 15 to 20 years, integrative medicine, functional medicine, holistic medicine. These are catch terms that essentially mean, okay, let's look deeper at the causative factors. What's happening physiologically? Can we test? Do we have more and more sophisticated test measures to look at what's happening physiologically and why people are having symptoms? Yes, we can. Our, the, our supplements and our nutritional protocols and the way we intervene with that data, improving our outcomes, yes, they are. So more and more people are moving out of Western medicine into these integrative disciplines over the last 15 to 20 years because these other disciplines work better for preventative care and chronic care. Western medicine is still very good for acute care management. On the, on the battlefield, in the emergency room, sure. in the operating room, we're really good at, West, at that style of triage intervention. But we're lousy in Western medicine for preventative care and chronic care where many of these other fields are good. So the market share started to shift and then Western allopathic medicine like, oh, we're losing a lot of people, all hands on deck. Let's create this functional medicine paradigm. So that crisis preceded the transformation of Western medicine into this more sophisticated, still growing relatively in its infancy, but getting better and better at understanding preventative chronic care. And that has come to it's still becoming more and more sophisticated, and yet it's still based on the body. It's still based in looking through a functional lens at why the body's doing what it's doing. It's much better, and yet still far to go. When we look at the whole system, when we look at a whole human, we realize we're multi-leveled beings, we're multi-leveled experiences of complexity, body, mind, heart, and soul. Other typically levels I look at if I'm thinking about myself or anybody else. And so we want to look at all aspects that create what you just described, healing, optimization, transcendence, fulfillment, essentially the hierarchy or the movement. People come into crisis, people come into medicine because they're in crisis, then they go to the healing arts, and then they go to peak performance, and then they go to transcendence, transformation, and then they ultimately experience the fulfillment. What we're seeing now, which is a reflection of what's happening in the culture, and for example, in Stealing Fire, and we were talking about Jamie Williams, Steve Cutler's book, referencing this $4 trillion transformational culture, well, we're seeing that in medicine. And we're seeing that with the psychedelic medical tourism. The people are having physical and emotional crises that they're turning towards these medicines and having phenomenal results because they're having a transformative experience. Yeah, Like Einstein said, you can't solve a problem using the same mindset that created it. Well, these transformative experiences offer us completely new way of viewing ourselves and life, a new lens to look through. The transformation is itself the catalyst, but the thing that catalyzed the transformation was the crisis. So the crisis, when we can understand its place, it motivates change. It brings things up to the surface. A long time ago, the herbalists and homeopaths, they would prescribe an intervention based on a set of symptoms. 
And they would know that the intervention or the medicine was working when the symptoms got worse, brought everything up to the surface. That crisis is proceeding and motivating the transformation. <laughs> it's mobilizing the resources. We're being mobilized. So the crisis in mental health, there's, there's crisis in every industry right now, educational, political, agricultural, ecological, medical. And the Relational, biggest- Relational, sexual. I mean, yeah, all right, of, the list goes on. Yeah, carry on. And the, the biggest healthcare crisis is in the mental health arena. The World Health Organization right now identifies depression as the largest disability cause worldwide, and that's only gonna continue. Uh, well, at this trajectory. It's cancel clear. We don't want to predict the future, but mm -hmm. at this trajectory, that's only going to continue. I don't think that's going to continue because this crisis is stimulating transformation. So it, it, yeah. it invites so us. Psilocybin just got fast-tracked by the FDA in phase three trials. Why? Because of the crisis. And that's right. actually exacerbating the funding that's gone to Hefter and USONA and then also yeah. the you know, need the FDA going, oh shit, we got to do something here because this is just getting worse. And then so these alternative transformational techniques are now actually getting support from the organizations that at some point had a hand in depressing and holding down and repressing some of these transformational techniques. So yeah. it's really interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. And so when we move the needle forward into these novel therapeutics, because this crisis is making us look outside the box, we see that these medicines are very good. Psilocybin is good for all of the five primary psychiatric conditions that are at epidemic growing levels of proportion. Addiction, depression, PTSD, pain, anxiety. So all five of those, psilocybin, and we're just using psilocybin as one example. Then we get into MDMA, also going to phase three trials. Also fast-tracked by the FDA. Also fast-tracked, right? Because it's phenomenally good for PTSD. It's the yeah. best treatment on the planet for PTSD. Iboga, right? Way outside the box. I don't think it's going to get legalized anytime soon, but Ibogaine, its primary synthetic alkaloid, is legal in Canada and is legal in Mexico. It's legal in our immediate neighbors because it's the most effective treatment par none for opiate addiction. And the opiate addiction itself is the highest escalation right now in the addiction recovery arena. So when we just look and at- opiates are like the, the perfect example of something that is not transformational medicine. <laughs> that, is the, that is the kind of, let's put this on hold, let's just allow you to ignore it for as long as you can and not actually deal with it. And then, I'm not saying there's not a purpose for opiates. You know, you break a bone or yeah. something like that. Look, I got, All I got has a its fucking place. car wreck and a steel split my face in two. And I was damn happy to take <laughs> my, you know, my hydrocodones or whatever for, for a little while. And then I realized like, well, well my pain's kind of done. And when I take this, I have no emotional sensation either. Mm. I'm completely numb. So that's the end of my hydrocodones you yeah. know like that's the end of that train you yeah. know and and i was fortunately i don't have an addictive personality so i was able to transition easily and i wasn't running from other things other than right. the exact acute symptom of the pain right. that this was actually allowing me to get a little space from right so i could fucking sleep and so i wasn't just a a, a mess to hang out with because i've been so much physical discomfort mm -hmm. But you can see in that example, if somebody has emotional pain that they're not oh, dealing yeah. with in, a, in an area of their shit. life, right? And so the physical pain might be the entry point. That's why I get it prescribed. But if it's taking care 
of helping me numb out and separate from all these other areas of my life that are creating pain, then it's more attractive for me to stay on it because we're gonna find the tools that work for us if we're in pain and that's the best thing for it because we don't see potentially other options, I'm gonna continue to take that. Yeah, it's alcohol being used as a medication instead of a celebration. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like that's one of the most common yeah. self-medications that's out there. You know, yeah. just all right, well, let's fucking jack, jack up the GABA in the brain and everything's gonna feel okay for a little while and I'll get a little break. I'll get mm -hmm. a little escape yeah. from this gnawing discomfort at my psyche. Yeah. you know but that and then everybody's like oh well it's just you know you just you're just a bottle of wine a day kind of guy like that's a, that's all that is and that's it's supposed just... to be okay <laughs> yeah. that's become normalized but it's it's not and it's always so again it goes to it's not that these things don't have a place yeah. you know i was drinking wine last night we yeah. had sake we were out drink having sushi it was fucking fantastic it was a phenomenal great, meal a great great meal great time great utilization of that but if i was using that nightly as a way mm -hmm. to cope with my own psychological discomfort. That's the sweet spot, right? So alcohol has its sweet spot. Yep. You don't use enough, no effect, but if you use too much, it's poison. So everything gets referenced. Water, sunlight, food. Don't use enough, there's no effect. Use too much, is poison. Mm -hmm. So when we get into that arena and that appreciation that everything is sacred, taku lo, that Lakota saying, everything is sacred. Everything has its place. Everything has its divine purpose because it's been orchestrated in this collective place we call home. When we can use transformational experiences to come back to the present, we don't even need to use the word sacred because for some people that means like spirituality and religion and right. just presence, presence and appreciation, presence and gratitude, come current with our trauma and the things that are limiting us from becoming our best selves from behind, as well as help people codify a new relationship with themselves and their crisis. Like the crisis is the opportunity. The depression was just your doorway. Your addiction is just your doorway. Your anxiety, your PTSD, it's just your doorway. Yeah, maybe something really fucking terrible happened. Okay, let's get current with that. What's the trauma? Can we get in intimate with that? Can we learn from it? Can we grow with it? To you used the word integrate before, and I like that word for us becoming more whole humans. Yeah our traumas and our really uncomfortable shitty things that happen oftentimes our best teachers are and the present and that present awareness of them those traumas being a teacher alchemizes and redeems those traumas into valuable lessons mm -hmm. and gifts and blessings right it's like it is the most radical element of alchemy we have available is hindsight and the understanding of how important all of those things were and it actually changes the past. It actually goes into the past and reframe and actually changes that experience, the mm -hmm. somatic and emotional and all the memory of that when you can actually make that switch to call it a blessing. Yeah, and, and so often, I'd say the vast majority of times, it requires the healing of the past in order to understand and appreciate that the crisis is happening in the present is also helpful. Mm. also for a purpose, also beneficial. And so these, these privileged experiences that you and I and many of our friends and family have had to go through the medicine process or some kind of healing process where that trauma was brought up to current and re-referenced our relationship with it as something like helpful, 
then serves as a foundation for me to see that whatever's happening right here and today, even if I don't yet understand how it's helping me, I can still have faith in that process. Mm-hmm. Like Viktor Frankl's kind of summary quote in Man's Search for Meaning, the last of the great human freedoms is the ability to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. I, we have, we've been told this lie that human beings are faulty machines and we're faulty machines and life is suffering and just get used to it and just deal with it. And it's not true. You know, like life contains pain. Pain is unavoidable. Suffering though is optional. And, and it's understanding that deeply that can recognize that everything, every element of suffering that you have now is a communication. It's a communication to you and an opportunity to look if you can keep looking deep and keep looking deeper and and fuck it's hard to look deep sometimes because there's shame that's blocking our ability to observe those things that are causing the discomforts but with the tools and with the guidance and with all the help and with all the practices if you keep looking at the source of yourself it's just a communication mm-hmm. it's a communication by the body or by the psyche or and it's an invitation to transcend you know so every single thing is just a blessing because mm-hmm. it's like okay i'm communicating oh i'm really uncomfortable and i want to run away and i want to get out of this i want to drink a bottle of alcohol and i want to get rid of it okay fine if you need to now mm-hmm. but but recognize that there's a communication of something there mm-hmm. and the courage the courage is to say huh all right monster breathing from the closet that's driving me to my alcohol pantry or driving me to my bottle of opiates like I'm going to turn about face and I'm going to look into the shadow until I Mm. see your steely little eyes, Mm. until I come up and kiss you on the forehead and you evaporate like a ghost, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) but that's the invitation for, you know, and obviously that's highly simplified because it's going to be a very deep and daring and long process into the inmost cave where, you know, where the treasure is hidden behind all of these ephemeral monsters but that whatever is happening, whatever you're feeling, whatever's coming up is just like a little communication. Like, yeah. okay, here's a place. Here's a here's a cave I can explore. Yeah. Yeah. What's the opportunity that lies here? Yeah. And it's hard. Like you mentioned shame. It's hard when we're in the trauma of it, when one of our core wounds has been triggered and, and resurfaced and opened again, and the pus starts oozing <laughs> out of that out, at rejection, abandonment, betrayal, injustice. Right? These are the core wounds. When one of those gets opened or up. Or the grand slam of all of them. <laughs> yeah, like all at the same time. <laughs> all at the same part. time. This shit was her. <laughs> <laughs> and through that healing, gradually more and more and more, like you said, with the tools and the teachers and the technologies that we have, we go through these transformative experiences. And then we can start to codify a system where we relate to our, our life as opportunity. Even the crisis. Is this an opportunity for... I'm looking now for flags in the universe, faith, faith, love, and growth, FLG is the acronym I'm using these days. Faith, love, and growth is everything that's happening now, an opportunity for one or all three of those right here and now. And those transformational experiences that we have the opportunity to codify into the new medical paradigm helps us go from the past, get current, and revision a new self as being empowered with all that happens and interrelatedly connected with everything that happens and everything around me. It's a very transformational mindset. 
But in order to get to that mindset, we have to have a transformational experience. Mm -hmm. And we now have the opportunity to do that more and more availably in the medical system. So when we bring together these two complementary systems of hardware and software, like if I think if I think of a computer and we're looking to up level the computer experience itself or its performance, we want to up level the hardware and the software. So we up level the hardware, that's the brain and the body and the physiology, cellular technologies, regenerative medicine technologies. If I'm working in like just brain and neurology space, that's the neurology itself, that's the hardware. Complemented with the software system, which is the tools for consciousness or the mind tools. And the user interface and the experience of it directly. So when you bring together hardware and software technologies together, cellular technologies with consciousness technologies together, now we've completely up-leveled the operating system mm -hmm. and that person's ability to perform at levels beyond their previous expectation. And that's, I think, such an important concept is to work on the systems simultaneously because the problem is is if you fix one system but another system is related to that system and is corrupted in some way it will re-corrupt the healing that you had in the other system mm -hmm. to support it right but in and, and vice versa so it's one of the reasons why i think ayahuasca is such a healing transformational plant medicine is because it's working physiologically as this cleansing kind of purgative where it really feels like it's squeezing your organs and flushing stuff out your butt and out your mouth. So it's working on the somatic you know, residue of these psychological traumas so that you get healing that actually can last. Because if you just work purely on the psychological, but you have these stuff in your body that's like physiologically there, these kind of partially cellular, partially energetic residues there, it will then re-trigger those elements in the mind and those mm -hmm. same patterns that you might have fixed where and if you just fix the body but the mind is still you know not thinking straight and not working then the mind can then re-corrupt the body and so working on both hardware and software simultaneously really allows for the greatest level of transformation and that yeah. fuck man it's it's total human optimization it's why we didn't say one element of human optimization for on <laughs> and it's like right. you got to do that you got to work on the total human mm. you know and how and respect that all elements are related. Mm. And I think, you know, it, it's funny how we've tried to silo body, mind, heart, soul. We tried to silo all that stuff. But the more you look at it, there's proof everywhere of how well it's connected. The placebo, the nocebo, the longitudinal studies about people who experience love and people who have loneliness versus companionship and all of these fucking things. You can look at all the clinical data and show that, oh, actually, no, everything is connected you know totally. and the physiological benefit of a faith-based practice the physiological benefit like all of these things are fucking related absolutely and we can all right cool call them these little names and put them in these buckets if you want but know that these buckets are all connected because they're all water you know and it's all part of the same elemental structure of h2o that was making the substrate of life in this human organism totally yeah yeah, you were making there, you, you said so much there that I want to just continue to celebrate and, and jam on. And it, it occurs to me too, as we're talking about transformational medicine, and this is um, it's kind of a summary statement from Gabor Mate, and, and I agree quite with him. Can't separate the mind from the body. 
And you were just saying that. And we can't separate the, the person from the environment. So if there is experience of suffering or imbalance or trauma in the system itself, then as we're working on our own private little experiences, it's also important to understand what systems are we connected to? What family system are we connected to? What community system, what cultural system, what planetary system are we connected to? That's also in crisis. And how is our internal crisis a reflection of the outer external crisis? Yeah. And there's a lot of trauma in the space right now. You can make, some people make the argument that there's less war than there has been historically. And that may be true, depends on the lens that you're looking through. But in this, in the sense of us being connected more and more virtually than ever before, I can immediately connect with somebody on the other side of the world. There's less and less social connection. There's less and less skin to skin, heart to heart, face to face, soul to soul connection. Yeah. And that level of disconnection is what's driving many of these epidemics. So it's important for us to understand how to transform the system itself while we're helping the people themselves transform. Yep. And I think that's part of our challenge, but it's also part of our opportunity. And I see these, like these conversations that we're having here, what you do with, with On It and your podcast and what is moving in the space of transformational experience is also moving into the space of transformational culture. And that's, that is the absolute heart of the Fit for Service mastermind. Like that, the purpose there is, okay, how do you transform the culture? Well, you transform people. And those people then by the expression of them being a different way, the expression of them reaching their fulfillment, being their own King Arthur's, pulling their own Excaliburs from mm -hmm. their own stone and then showing that and creating their own little Camelot in their circle, at their dinner table, at their round table, at their conference, whatever your scale might be, then it starts to transform culture. And I think just remembering that, all right, you know, you can really panic and looking out externally of all the things you can do, but a good place to start is right at home, mm. you know, being fit for service. That's something that Don Howard, you know, when we were talking about that very first Wachuma Masada that we all went through together and how at the second Masada, you know, we had that really clear concept like, man, like we gotta, we gotta do some things we got to bring this kind of awareness, this kind of fellowship, this thing in mass, but it starts with bringing ourselves to that level where we are fit for service. And I think we've both been on our own meandering pathways to become more fit, you know, to work on our validations and to work on our fears and to work on our challenges and our issues and whatever. And as, as we rise in that and as we feel more comfortable then bringing other people through and then this becomes this, you know, both direct effect because people we can directly impact people, but then it also claims an opportunity in the collective in that kind of like 99th monkey, you know, concept where even other people who aren't even connected will have the opportunity to claim the same <laughs> claim the same mm -hmm. thing. You know, mm -hmm. like holding that level of consciousness opens that possibility for that level of consciousness mm -hmm. to exist and mm -hmm. permeate in this kind of really cool way that's been demonstrated with different animal models in different ways where if uh, you know, a bird learns something on one mm -hmm. side of the world, the bird, the same right. species will learn the same thing. Right. Elsewhere, it's like claiming that possibility. Mm -hmm. You know, so if we can do that, that's one of the greatest acts of service 
that we can do is to claim the possibility of a different way, a different way to look at animals, a different way to look at plants, a different way to look at people, community, tribe, relationship, health, mm -hmm. all of these things, claim these opportunities, and then it becomes universally available. Mm -hmm. That becomes the new example. Yeah. Like the four minute mile. Oh, that's physiologically <laughs> yeah, impossible. Yeah, yeah. No one can run a four minute mile and then all of a sudden, psh. And, and another example, like I remember, I, now I remember one of the last times I visited you was when um, Beckham Jr. for the Giants made that incredible catch. Yep. And everybody was like, holy cow, how do you do that? And now I see those kind of highlights all the time now. <laughs> right, right. Like it was, it was previously impossible and now it's possible. Right. Like what becomes the new possible? What becomes the new possible for the new fully integrated human in a time of crisis to claim love again and again and again in the face of competing evidence? To be able to come back home and say, no, I am claiming myself here now, fully present, fully anchored, fully representing the inter-dialogue of life force between me and you and everything else as an actual potential, as a living example, not just theoretical anymore, yeah. not just taking it out of the Bible and Sunday mass, but like, what does it look like to live and breathe that? as our new operating system. And I think that's our great opportunity. No doubt. And I think we have we have these like bad models, not bad, but like antiquated models. Like you look at <clears throat> you look at the figure of Jesus and you have all of these assumptions about what it means to embody Christ consciousness. Well, sandals and robes and he doesn't have sex and he hardly ever laughs. He doesn't make many jokes, you know, like, okay, well maybe you know, we're translating from translators of, you know, we're focusing on one thing from 2000 years ago. Maybe he was fucking garrulous and like funny and mischievous and had, you know, raucous sex at night. Like and dreadlocks. And, yeah, yeah. Like uh, who knows, you know, but right. like, but the Christ consciousness. And that's a thing that, you know, a great thing about Paul Selig's books is he's saying like anything that you know, anything that you do can be renowned in a higher way mm. you know it's not a, it's not about what you look like or where you live or what you do you know it's about like what expression you bring through mm. all of that and like what awareness you bring through all of that, that and so that's so beautiful and in the, it re-references our connection to everything that we have and we have such a consumptive society i i, I i'm no i'm not divorced from that we have this tendency to want more as opposed to re-referencing our relationship with it yeah and having a depth of connection and a depth of experience within us that permeates out versus something from the outside moving in yeah it becomes intrinsic versus extrinsic there's a whole base of like positive psychology i i hadn't heard you or him kind of like codify that teaching in a way that helps me just appreciate that like you said before it all starts at home and all starts with my relationship with myself and everything in my home yeah. and then from that place i can see more effectively of what do i receive from the environment to help me live a more fulfilled life yeah yeah i mean he, he gives these great uh, he gives these great examples of um and the guides actually you know give these great examples of how we try to contain and, and create these areas where, okay, this is spiritual, this is religious, okay, inside these church doors, you know, okay, this is where you experience God. 
well, God will be greater experienced in truth when we leave the doors wide open and understand that God is as equally outside the church as inside the church. And you blow open all the doors to the, you know, to all of these things and collapse this idea of, okay, it has to look this way and you have to be in a monastery to be this way. And you have to, no, you can be expressing in your Bentley you know, like cruising down, like laughing and listening to rock music. Like it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't, it just matters how you're interacting with it and why you're interacting with it and what drove you to drive the Bentley. What drove you? What's the reason behind it? What's your approach to it? Could you give it away to somebody who is like, I like that car. And you're like, sure, it's yours. Mm -hmm. And just have a big laugh about it on your way home and think, what a hilarious thing I did today. I just gave my Bentley (laughs) to a stranger and just howl with laughter at how funny that was. And like, could you approach it that way? And if you could, beautiful. You know, like it's not about what you do. It's about like the presence that you have in engaging with that thing, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's the that's the new, that's the coming. That's the coming of consciousness. You know, this, everybody's talking about the, the second coming of Christ. Like it's gonna be another dude in sandals that's gonna be doing that. No, it's gonna be a revolution of consciousness where people become aware embracing the whole world that we live in not trying to create little silos in this little mosque or this little island or this little church or this little thing but like no no we can do all the things it's just about how we do it why we do it what we what we're referencing and presencing while we're doing it Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean there's some guidelines i get don't hurt other people don't take away somebody else's agency you Mm -hmm. know you can't be manipulative in that way that's black magic that's sorcery that's not what we're talking about but we're talking about the expression of yourself. Mm. And you know, that's what gets me excited about the future. Mm. You know, and, and I think it's a big message to express. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hoka hey. Hoka hey. We do that in transformational medicine. We do that in our own experience at the altar. Our own like you're you're in Paul Check's conversation about having a great sacred poop. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all sacred. It's all beautiful. Yeah. And and this is the the growing opportunity and the more and more we have these kind of conversations the more and more deeply it gets embedded in our own consciousness and like saint francis says share the gospel with everybody and when necessary use words <laughs> <laughs> love that <laughs> yeah that's a good place to end it i love you dan brother. it's great to see you brother great to drop in with you yeah. um you where's the best place to find you you non-instagram having <laughs> rebel of the world thanks for calling me out on that <laughs> that's Maybe gonna by change the time this releases you'll have the fucking impetus <laughs> to actually get an instagram and share some of this wisdom with the world yes okay thanks Drew. yeah i just got called out on that one all right um uh so i mentioned revive yeah revives this neurologic recovery center that we have in denver uh, that's revivecenters.com. That's just an example of like a transformational process through the neurology space. And we're going to be creating the same kind of centers for that expression to happen in the psychology space. Uh, drdanengel.com is uh, a little bit about me and my philosophy. Fullspectrummedicine.com is an education and advocacy platform on the right use and the codification of psychedelic medicines into the psychiatric mainstream and where we can go potentially um, as a collective in that kind of arena. I launched concussionrepairmanual.com last year. We're going to do a 2.0 version, an audio book here in probably Q1 or two of this coming year. So those are a few places. And then we've got a few other things that you and I were wrapping on before no this doubt. podcast that I think more, more will happen. So stay tuned. I'm yep. excited. 
Yeah, indeed. It's good to see you again, brother. Yeah, brother. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. So much love. Love yourself. Love everybody. Peace. As you heard us discuss briefly in the podcast, Dr. Dan is going to be a part of this Fit for Service Mastermind in some way, shape, or form. He has expertise to lend to physically fit, mentally fit, emotionally fit, and spiritually fit, and he's going to be available to this fellowship as we build it. So I encourage you guys to check out aubreymarcus.com slash fitforservice. Understand that these brilliant minds, these bodies of information, like the ones that come from Dr. Dan and all of the people I know, they're all going to be part of this group because we're all trying to level up together. We're all trying to build our own unique individual roundtable, our Camelots together. And to do that, we need all the best information we can. So check that out, aubreymarcus.com slash fitforservice. I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast every week, sharing it with your friends, talking to people about it, sharing the links. I love you guys. You're the best. Thank you so much.